If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today uh, we're, we got two topics for you. It's almost kind of a second part of our summer art news roundup, but it's also um, one larger conversation and one kind of smaller conversation. So uh, we're going to talk about what it means when art scenes lose people who have kind of been the leaders or fixtures of communities. Um, we've this is uh, we don't want to be sad or macabre or regretful about it, but it's just kind of the reality of some of our longtime fixtures in art scenes across Texas have died in the last year or two years. Um, but we're going to talk about how that impacts an art scene and um, kind of where we see the art scene going from there, how the art scene is dealing with these losses. And then we're also going to talk about uh, the news that came out this summer that the f- that Freeze, um, the art fair slash publication, has bought the Armory Show and Expo Chicago, two art fairs, one in New York, one in Chicago, that have been kind of stalwart locally run fairs. Um, so we're going to talk about what it means that, what it means when a big company comes in and takes ownership of a local art fair. Um, So with that, uh, we wanted to start off with this conversation about how art scenes across Texas are changing. Um, This topic came up. Actually, Jessica, do you want to talk about how you kind of thought about this topic? Because when we were trying to brainstorm some things that we could talk about, you know, in the summer doldrums, um, this was something that you actually suggested. Yeah. So in my role as news editor for Glass Tire, I write many of the obituaries. Um, And I found myself, I mean, honestly, since I started in December 2021, um, just noticing how many of the longtime important um, arts leaders across the state have been dying um how often it seems to have occurred and and not just um i hate to say not just artists right um artists are important the work they do um is significant and lasting but truly leaders who um have had a lasting impression on students or on building an art scene by creating a gallery or an art space that then um fosters dialogue and creativity amongst generations of people um and it just kind of struck me that that we've had a lot of loss um and that there hasn't been time to really stop and reflect on that and think about what that means and what will happen moving forward 
I think this is almost, it's weirdly seems to be like a thing coming out of COVID that we're just losing a lot of people really quickly. However, I've, I've talked to a few people about this, and it's also just the fact that I think all of us who have been in the art scene a little while are getting older. Um, so it, this is something that every every generation deals with because it's kind of like your heroes or the people you look up to or the people who are really influenced influencing on you when you were impressionable, um, you notice a lot more when those people pass on. Um, so, you know, this isn't um, a strange phenomenon, but I think part of it also is that a lot of the people who are getting older now are the people who essentially built Texas's art scene from the ground up. You know, we're not dealing with the losses of like, the small groups of artists in like Dallas and Fort Worth that established the museums there or anything like that. But we're dealing with the loss of people like Jesse Lott, the Houston artist who co-founded Project Row Houses, or both Anne and Jim Harithis, who were really influential in Houston um, running the Station Museum, which there was there's was and is no museum like the Station Museum in Houston, um, and also the Five Points Museum in Victoria. Uh, people like we we just lost Wayne Gilbert, who ran G Spot Contemporary and was also a very singular artist. Um, we were looking at people in Fort Worth too, like Ed and Linda Blackburn, who are both very influential educators and artists. Um, Francis Culpet, who taught at TCU and was a one of the most maybe well-known art critics in Texas, uh, Vernon Fisher, who was also an educator. So I feel like what we're seeing is these are people who are educators. These were people because of their roles as educators, curators, or artists who are really open about themselves and their practices and what they established in their careers. It, by design impacted a lot of people or they curated a lot of people into shows or they taught a whole generation of people. Um, Jessica, I can't remember if it was you that came up with this term or if it was me that came up with this term, but we were talking about this and like we thought of them as scene makers. Like it's these people who really did take what they had and transformed it into something that was cohesive and that could move forwards in a meaningful way. Right. And honestly, you know, I I wonder if that's a phrase that came up in the conversation that you and Christina had um, in 2021 on the podcast prior, uh, The Power of One, um, that kind of tackled some of these similar ideas um, and spoke about scene makers. I. I recently re-listened to that in preparation for today and um, was kind of struck by and appreciated how y'all spoke of these scene makers as people who maybe weren't necessarily setting out to do this work, right? But they were like following their passion and their interest and, um, and putting their energies behind the things that were important to them and in doing so created this you know larger energy and um and in that way created a scene around it Mm -hmm. yeah i i think that's i i still think that's true um today in the people who might be trying to fill everyone's very big uh shoes i mean i i don't think anyone well that's that's such a 
that's such a thing I have to qualify because I don't think there's any one person who's like, Jesse Lott has died and I need to fill his shoes now as like the shaman of Houston's art community. But it's just, but people see a need and they fill it and it's no one trying to emulate anyone else, but it's just people, like you said, Jessica, doing what they feel like they need to do. Um, And that means that with every generation, it kind of, changes because the holes you know whenever someone dies whether it's them running a space or whether it's their being at them being an educator those roles kind of shift and change and the people that rise to the occasion aren't ever the same as the people that an art scene lost but that's what makes a community and a people and an art scene just grow and change in really meaningful ways because people who are really making changes are meeting the needs of today. And some of the people who are getting older may not be meeting the needs of today. So it's just kind of a natural, a natural culling and churning of um, how an art scene is operating. I think a lot about the spaces that people have created and what happens to the space after its leader has passed. Right. So we talked about um, the Station Museum and Five Points Museum in Victoria and Five Points Museum has been closed since June. I think recently they've announced a new exhibition that is going to open in September, which is exciting. But I, I think that Station Museum continues to be temporarily closed and I'm not sure what the future of that organization is. I'm pretty sure I haven't gotten explicit confirmation on this but there are rumblings in Houston that it is it is finished it's not going to reopen it's not going to turn into anything it's not going to turn into like an endowed institution it will it will be closed permanently but but then also you have spaces like um photofest right which was founded by um frederick or Fred and Wendy, uh, the Baldwins, and uh, which also lost another longtime employee. I think it was earlier this year, Vinod Hopson. Even though he wasn't working there anymore, he was still an integral part of the Houston art scene. But PhotoFest is was turned into an institution or nonprofit pretty early on, and is going to have um, a long life, even though. Fred isn't around anymore and Wendy is, you know, getting older. So, yeah, speaking of of the Houston art scene and and some of the ways that those institutions are um, changing or maybe ending, um, do you see new spaces opening? What do you see kind of emerging next? You know, I was having this conversation last night, actually, with a few Houston folks. And one of the things that's happening in Houston is there aren't a whole lot of younger spaces emerging. Um, I love Houston's art scene and think it is very strong, but that is one of the things that we lack right now. Like young upstart galleries that are showing young upstart artists and also bringing in work by young upstart artists from other areas of the country. Um, Dallas has a lot of that right now, um, but Houston Houston has always kind of gone through a, like a cycle with its artist run and smaller 
spaces. And right now, we really don't have a lot of them. Um, a lot of folks who ran them are either doing other things or they moved to like LA a couple years ago. And the pandemic really kind of solidified that. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that we're about to be on the upswing because we're kind of at the we're at the bottom of the sine wave at this point. Um, and I think maybe ripe is the right word, um, that it's, it would be really welcomed with open arms if anyone wanted to try to open that type of space. Um, the only two places that I can kind of think of are F, which is a publication and gallery run out of a home here in Houston. And then also Jonathan Hobson gallery, which is another gallery run out of a home. Um, but those are the only two galleries. I almost kind of think of these in terms of like galleries that would take things to nada, the art fair, like the young, hip, fun fair. Um, those are the only two that I can think of in Houston. Whereas other like Austin even has two galleries that would like go to somewhere like Nada at this point. So for a bigger art scene like Houston's to have so few, um, it's definitely a marker of a moment. So that's really interesting. And I wonder if part of that has to do with um, resources available to create these kinds of spaces. You know, when I think of Houston, I do think about substantial arts funding. But I wonder, as somebody who is there um, and who's been there for a long time, embedded in the art scene, like, how do you see that playing out for up and coming, emerging um, potential galleries or institutions or nonprofits? I think those spaces are hard to run like the types of galleries that I'm talking about because Houston collectors are really great but also I feel like Houston at least in my experience Houston has a pretty solid collector market for mid-tier local or regional artists um like basically in layman terms uh Houston collectors would be much less likely to bite on a young painter out of LA or Brooklyn that they don't really know for the compared to getting a work, a similar work for a similar price by someone uh, who's shown in Houston for 20 years. Uh, And that's, you know, in one way that's really great locally to have collectors who care about local talent. But in another way, it also means that because of that, we don't get as much work from elsewhere um, and it's harder for t- these types of galleries to run, and it's harder to create interstate dialogue or cross-country dialogue. Um, and then it also means that our that work doesn't get shown here, so our scene is, you know, maybe five, ten years behind places like New York, which you know again take that for what you will there's there's a good and a bad to being disconnected or not completely uh beholden to a market but it's i think overall a challenge and it also means that a lot of what happens here in Houston but also i feel like in Texas this is a Texas thing it means that um the people coming in or the people who are building a future here are very much committed to being here and working here and buffing up and adding to the Texas art scene. And they're completely willing to acknowledge and accept and try and challenge whatever um, complications that come their way when they 
put in that work. Yeah, I think um, maybe kind of to that point, one of the, I would say, like, newer people in Fort Worth, although he's been here for over two years now, uh, Bill Creek Allen, who came from Austin and kind of came with that sensibility already of both showcasing, um, you know, nationally known artists, people like Sandy Skoglund, um, who has a show coming up of her work, um, but also regional um, artist coming from Austin to Fort Worth. He's bringing in Austin artists who maybe haven't necessarily shown in Fort Worth before. And so that influx has been, I think, really helpful for the art scene to kind of get in, get, get exposed to um, other artists that maybe haven't shown here before. Yeah. And you know, if we're going to talk about galleries, I think of places like Martha's, Martha's Contemporary in Austin, which uh, started out like any other Austin gallery is like a very kind of small, scrappy place in the East End and now has um, a real gallery space north of UT and has exhibited at the Dallas Art Fair for the past couple of years. If you if you asked me six, seven years ago if we were ever going to see a Dallas gallery show, or I'm sorry, an Austin gallery show at the Dallas Art Fair, I would have been like, no, what are you talking? There's not a there's not an art market in Austin. So an, an Austin gallery, an Austin for profit gallery running in that way as someone's full time job is a misnomer. That's not a thing. Um, but hey, prove me wrong. There are two in Austin that are really doing it and that are um, putting in the work, both Martha's and Ivester Contemporary. So, I mean, I think. I think it's I think it's really possible to turn something around and to become an influence in your own scene pretty quickly. Also, um, some of the people who I think about in this regard have kind of filled the shoes of um, people who have passed on people like Dennis Nance at the Galveston Art Center. You know, he I don't know how long he's going to stay in that job. I don't know if he's going to be in it 25 or 30 years like Clint Willauer was, but he's filling Clint's shoes and continuing that legacy of um, putting together really significant shows by really significant artists who, a lot of whom hadn't had the opportunity to show in that way before. Um, also, I'll, I'll bring them up because, Jessica, you work for them. Uh, so full disclosure there, but I think of like the Huckabees in Fort Worth who are Texas through and through, you know, they opened Kinfolk house. Um, how long, a year and a half ago at this point, two years ago, a little over a year, a little over a year and a half ago. Yeah. It'll be two years in January. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of them that like they are Fort Worth. They are committed to Fort Worth. They've taught in Fort Worth. Like they're people who in 30 or 40 years, I think will look back on and be like, wow, they touched an entire generation. They exhibited people. They uh, educated people. They helped artists. They bought people's work. Like they are, uh, they're like the picturesque person for who were talking about in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, really exciting to have the opportunity to work with them at Kenfolk House and just to see, um, you know, how 
down to earth they are with everybody they interact with and how that leads to these like deep connections and relationships and mentorships um, that they establish with local and regional artists. Uh, I think also an, an important person to bring up before we switch topics um, is maybe Rigo Luna um, and his partner Janelle Esparza, uh, who are the powerhouses behind Pressa House in San Antonio. Um, that space not only is doing this kind of similar thing of creating a scene and bringing artists together and creating conversations and giving exposure to artists, um, but beyond Pressa House, um, Rigo is also curating things. Um, obviously, he just had the Soy de Tejas show um, that was in San Antonio at Centro de Artes, um, which was a major show. And prior to that, he um, was the curatorial assistant and exhibition coordinator for the Texas Biennial um, in support of the curators uh, Ryan Dennis and Evan Garza. I feel like, um, you know, just to put a button on this conversation, the people were thinking about um are are kind of like the public intellectuals of their cities that they live in and you know not in the sense of their <laughs> they're the public art intellectuals they're not like aristotle standing in the square lecturing but they're the people who are on the ground who are dealing with people who are really thinking about the scenes who are um the most in touch with what's going on and there are a lot of times i feel like the people who get chosen to you know curate shows to jury things but also they're the people who i know that if i'm trying to think about larger things within an art scene i go to the people who i think have the best overhead view of that scene and a lot of these folks that we're talking about are those people so with that, uh, on to our second topic of the freeze buying the freeze, <laughs> um, buying the Armory Show and Expo Chicago. So just to do a really quick one minute summary of this, um, earlier this year, I think they announced it in July, um, there were articles everywhere that Freeze, which is an art fair and a publication, bought the Armory Show in Expo Chicago. So uh, Expo Chicago has a long history in Chicago. It started off as Art Chicago in the 1980. It was considered the U.S.'s best fair for a while, and then it ran into some problems and was revamped in 2012 as Expo Chicago. The Armory Show was founded as uh, an alternative to Expo Chicago in 1994, it was also founded under another name by several New York dealers, and it, you know, has become a thing. And if you've ever been to um, the Armory, especially, it's one of those huge art fairs in a convention center where there are galleries from all across the world. There's a ton of blue chip galleries. It's uh, a big deal. But one of the things about this is uh, Freeze has also had an art fair in New York. It's maybe a little smaller, maybe a little more boutique, uh, but they also have an art fair in London. Um, but Expo and the Armory have always been locally run. Um, and whenever I think about art fairs and art fairs that have been really successful, I think oftentimes art fairs that have 
the buy-in from their local communities and that are locally run are successful because of those reasons specifically. I think about that with like the Dallas Art Fair. Um, the Dallas Art Fair has, you know, been based in Dallas. It's run in Dallas. It's not run by a conglomerate that operates a bunch of other fairs. Um, compared to the Texas Contemporary, which was in Houston for a while, it kind of the quality went down and down year over year, but it was operated by a, a company that runs some other great art fairs like Art on Paper in New York and some fairs in like Seattle and San Francisco and other places. But I think because it didn't have that local run, that local attention, um, the quality sometimes just wasn't there and the connection with the local community was kind of missed. Um, so with that, we kind of wanted to base this conversation around the question of what does it mean for an art fair to go from locally owned and operated to being run more remotely, especially if that thing running it remotely also runs what would be possibly considered to be competing art fairs. Um, Jessica, did you have any thoughts when this kind of came to light? Well, I guess, um, you know, my, my first reaction when, you know, a larger organization takes over something smaller or locally run is, um, disdain. Um, because, because, um, because of all the things that you've already said, right? Because, um, I think it's important to have locally run um, spaces and organizations and art fairs um, because of that connection uh, to the community um, that it's situated in. But I think like in reading about this a little bit further, I was interested to see that the plan is to continue to operate both of these art fairs with their existing teams. Um, And that gives me a little bit of hope, but it does, you know, raise some questions about, um, how it will actually work versus, you know, what we're hearing right now. I don't know. What were your thoughts? Part of it, I, I, I agree. I think there could be good and bad to it because part of it is they're operating independently with existing teams. But at the same time, does that mean the invisible hand of the corporation will come down and influence things and push them one way or the other? Partially because... Um, what they what one of the freeze uh, execs said about this is that the art fairs quote will operate as separate divisions under freeze with their existing teams but they'll share business services like sponsorship finance legal hr digital um which you know in some ways it's like does it matter what company the accountant doing the books for an art fair works for in theory no but if um, if they're kind of consolidating things like the way that galleries are chosen or if they're consolidating anything that, that even tangentially touches on the creative of the fair, it means that things will be different and they might shift year over year to be a little more monolithic than they were before. Does that make sense? Like there's nothing there's nothing that I've read that says that you know, all of the booth uh, choices are going to be funneled through freeze. Like in theory, them operating separately means that that would operate on its own. But also changes creep in. Right. It's easy to see how over time that could slowly shift to be the exact opposite of what they're saying it will be. 
I mean, also, what does it mean that the two biggest art fairs in New York or the two with the most prominent names are owned by the same company? Like, it's it's kind of, I mean, you kind of get into monopoly conversations, although art is so unregulated that it kind of doesn't matter. But what does it mean to be competing with your own fair in terms of their side as a business or as a gallery choosing which fair to do? Like, is there, what's what's the downside or what's the potential fallback of that? Yeah, um... I think it was interesting kind of, like I said, reading into it a bit more. And, and uh, of course, Freeze doesn't see it as competition, right? Like, sees it as complementary, perhaps, more than competition, um, which is a nice, rosy way to see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there's so much that's unknown and, and so many just kind of questions that it brings up without without much certainty yeah well i think about what would happen if freeze came in and bought the dallas art fair right um just kind of a a little mental game there's no there's this isn't any allusion to anything that's in the works this is just purely a mental exercise maybe the reaction would be different because like we were saying the dallas art fair generally has a lot of local backing um maybe that's there's a different feeling around that in New York. I mean, do, does New York or does the armory really need like the backing of its city to operate? Like people are going to fly in from elsewhere to see it. Like even if the some New York galleries uh skip out on the armory, which some inevitably do, it doesn't necessarily mean the fair is going to show that. Um I would think it would be more akin the the Dallas model. It would be more akin to like the Expo Chicago model. Like it's a less um, a less thought of art destination. It's a place. It's it's a company that's been locally run for a very long time. I mean, back from 1980. That's 1980. That's an old art fair by art fair standards. Um, but I feel like if Freeze came in and bought the Dallas Art Fair. There would, at least initially, it might very well die down, but there would be a little bit of a whisper campaign or uproar about, like, is how is this going to affect us? Like, and is this truly locally run anymore, even if the same team stayed on the ground? Like, I feel like there would just be an air of distrust, and I don't know if that's a Texan thing. You know, of just us kind of wanting to support the local ecology um, or if it would be rightfully placed. Yeah, that's hard to say. I I, I think, you know, um, it definitely raises suspicions. And maybe that's not just a Texas thing. Maybe that's, you know, um, maybe that's anybody just kind of being weary of outsiders uh, or perceived outsiders coming in and and taking hold of something that the local community has invested in and cares about and um, and is important to them. Do you think that um, these fairs kind of being owned by a larger conglomerate, which I feel like you know this is America and the place of business, even though Freeze Freeze might be based in London, um, but you know. Uh, 
same same difference of Freeze is part of a larger conglomerate, which is a sports, fashion, events, and media network, which is a subsidiary of a global sport and entertainment company. So it's owned by a company, which is owned by a company, which is owned by a company, which you know isn't shouldn't be a surprise, but it's just kind of funny to note these you know the, these truly independent things being then folded into um, something that has so many layers. But uh, maybe this is a question, like, I don't necessarily want to be flippant about it or show our hand, but, like, Jessica, do you care about this news? Does this make any difference to you as, like, an art interest, as an art-involved and interested person? To me personally, as an art-involved, interested person who's very regionally focused, no, I don't. I don't super care about it. It doesn't affect me directly. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter a whole lot to me beyond just that feeling of, okay, here is this company that is taking on more things, um, taking on more art things, and yeah, beyond the question of are they going to come to Texas and do that here, uh, it doesn't super concern me. Yeah. Well, also beyond the question of a publication running an art fair, um, which is a which is a head scratcher uh, mental exercise in itself um, of all of the intricacies. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there are separate teams that run the publication in the art fair. But uh, still, uh, that's uh, whenever whenever publications or things that aren't things uh, uh companies whose jobs aren't to show art start to show art it's always an interesting uh experiment to watch how that happens um but no i i agree with you like i think it's interesting news i think it's something to talk about um i don't know if like we if there are any big changes they will creep in and then they will just become part of the norm and it won't really matter um it seems you know we do have galleries in texas that go to freeze or that go to armory or that go to expo chicago even um so i think it'll be interesting to track over the next couple years how these events um either look to them or if they have any more success because what in theory this could do is if freeze is now able to combine its own network of supporters with the networks of supporters of these fairs maybe it ends up being a really great thing that they're able to draw more attention to these fairs and then the galleries that go to them have more sales um which is something if any texas galleries do them in the coming years i'll be interested to see if they notice a change because that's where those changes would show up first right would be on the back end and would be with how the galleries are treated or how they are dealing with um everything on their end Mm -hmm. yeah i think that would be an interesting follow-up uh well with that we will let you go uh thank you so much for listening to art dirt we will be back in two weeks with another episode it is hot out there it is the dog days of summer um if you're traveling across the state there's definitely still a lot to see though um so check out our event listings and we will catch you back uh at the beginning of september when things are just starting to pick up so with that 
go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2023.